0: I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome everybody to a special edition of First Class Fatherhood. I am happy as always to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, keep your chin covered today because I will be hitting you with the top five fighting father interviews of 2019. Now, I have been conflicted on which five categories to choose from this week. I've already hit you with the top five celebrity and entertainment interviews, the top five fitness father interviews, and tomorrow, I'm going to be hitting you with the dads of the NFL, and Friday, the top five Navy SEAL interviews of 2019. I could easily do a military dads other than the SEALs as well as an entrepreneur top five, but I chose fighting fathers here because all of the episodes really just crushed the downloads this year and so many of you guys have reached out to me to try to get some fighters on the podcast here so I really hope you enjoy this collection it's going to begin in the octagon at number five with Matt Brown who is known in the cage as the immortal he just had a fight the other day and pummeled his opponent Matt spoke openly about his addiction and so much more when he joined me here earlier this year so you will hear from Matt Brown first at number five Number four is Kelly Pavlik, the professional boxer who was known in the ring as the ghost. He finished his career after 42 fights with 40 wins. Becoming a dad heavily influenced his decision to walk away from the fight game, which he speaks about in our interview. So Kelly Pavlik up at number four. Number three is Titus O'Neil, the WWE superstar whose heart is bigger than his six foot six frame. Titus's mom was raped at eleven, gave birth to him at twelve years old. He speaks about the effects of that, and especially growing up without a dad in the home. If you missed our interview, you are part of a small group. It really crushed the charts. Titus O'Neil is at number three. Number two is Tito Ortiz, who crushed his fight recently against Alberto Del Rio. And my interview with him crushed the charts. Tito speaks openly in our conversation about his own upbringing with drug-addicted parents, his relationship with porn star Jenna Jameson, and how all of this helped shape him into the first-class father he is today. So you will hear from Tito Ortiz at number two. And finally, at number one is the UFC president himself, Dana White. Dana White's interview was awesome, and he enjoyed our conversation so much that he invited me to come and meet him at UFC 244 in Madison Square Garden for the Masvidal-Diaz fight. And what an incredible date night that made for my wife and I. Dana was extremely kind to us, and my interview with him smashed the charts this year, putting it at number one in today's list. All right, so I hope you guys enjoy this collection. Tomorrow, we're going to hit the gridiron for the most downloaded NFL father interviews of 2019. As always, please help me spread the word about this podcast to every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show that celebrates fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with the top five most downloaded fighting father interviews of 2019. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. First Class Fatherhood. All right, joining me now is a first-class father. He is a legendary UFC fighter known as The Immortal. He was a contestant on Season 7 of The Ultimate Fighter, and you've seen him crushing opponents in the UFC cage. It is so cool for me to say, Matt Brown, welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
1: Yep, thanks for having me.
2: All right, let's start here. How many kids do you have, and how old are they? I
1: have uh, three kids, um, twin boys that are eight years old, and a three-year-old daughter. Wow, okay. Uh, you got the eight-year-olds involved in any uh, sports or activities yet? Oh, yeah. Um, gosh, you name it, they do it. Um, the primary sports are um, jiu-jitsu and wrestling, but they also have baseball, football, you know, all the standard stuff too. Okay,
2: that's awesome. Do you get involved with coaching at all, or do you like to step aside from that and kind of watch and cheer on from the sidelines?
1: Um, I certainly coach the jiu and no, wrestling, because that's what I know, but uh, I actually coached baseball. Sorry, I coached baseball this year for the first time, which was pretty interesting because I didn't know half the rules, so <laughs> yeah, that was pretty fun, but um, yeah, I think that's about all I've done. I I, I did a little bit of the flag football, um, but again, I just don't know the rules well enough. Um, it's kind of a mess when I'm out there. <laughs> all right, good enough. Uh, do me a favor here, Matt. Just take a minute
2: to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do.
1: Whew. All right. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. So, um, is it, well, I fight in the UFC. I've been fighting in the UFC for over 10 years now. Um, that's mainly what I do. My background uh, is a long story. I guess I, I come from a pretty standard uh, middle American background, very small town. Um, my life kind of went the wrong direction, got into, like, drugs, alcohol and parties and stuff found martial arts and that's what turned my life into something positive turned out I was pretty decent at fighting so just pursued that as a career and here I am
2: yeah very cool I mean you have a very inspiring story Matt and how old were you when you became a father for the first time and how did becoming a dad kind of change your perspective on life
1: um I was 30 years old when my twins were born um gosh you know it. I don't know how much it changed my perspective on life, but it certainly um, changed my life. <laughs> right? Like, you know, I started caring more about like as I got, like, you know, um, you know, I like started wearing my seatbelt and you know, not, not staying out all night and um, you know, didn't, you know, wasn't trying to go skydive anymore. You know, just sim- little things like that. It wasn't. Yeah, you know, my perspective has always been pretty similar, and that's. Um, You know, know, like my whole whole life, I've just always attacked everything relentlessly as hard as I can. And that's, uh, I don't do anything different today. Um, You know, I found, obviously, I found like positive ways to channel that energy and positive things to attack. But, um, you know, none of that has ever really changed. The only thing that really changed was um, what um, sort of uh, what my mission was and sort of what uh, I, I was going after. Um, you know, and just with the kids, it, it turns into a lot of safer things, things that just aren't quite uh, as risky in my life because I want to be there for them.
2: Yeah, very well said. And, and did becoming a dad, did that kind of have any influence uh, on your fight career as far as which fights you would take or how many fights you would take?
1: Uh, it is not, no. I've always, to be honest, I've never even thought about whether I would or wouldn't take a fight and uh, except for the past like two years because I had an ACL surgery and I just wanted to make sure that that got completely taken care of. Um, I opened my own gym last year, so that took a lot of time out of my day. But for the past, you know, I don't, you know, nine, ten years before that, um, yeah, I, I've never even questioned whether I would take a fight. They just called me and I just took a fight.
2: Okay, very cool. Yeah, and and I know that you did, you struggled with uh, drugs and alcohol earlier in in your life. What was sort of the, um, you know, the the incident there where you started to turn it all around and what was your discovery uh, into uh, mixed martial arts and all that at the genesis of it?
1: Yeah, there was, um, there wasn't like one single incident that changed everything. Um, I had some pretty major incidents in my life um, that I could talk about that certainly sparks some different things but there i wouldn't say it was more of a progression um, a slow progression moving from one thing to another um yeah you know that maybe probably the biggest one to be honest is when i had my first fight that i actually trained for i was prepared i was ready and had people like in my corner you know like i had a few fights before that where i just went and just fought it was many years ago they didn't have athletic commissions it was different you know you would just literally just go fight and you had to pay to fight you know it's a way different world but finally i had a fight like my my dad came to it my my brothers came to it and they were all you know cheering me on so there was this immense pressure and i was scared out of my freaking mind um and that's when i kind of fell in love with it right then like before there wasn't really no pressure like i was usually doing some drugs like before i would fight and um it was you know it was kind of underground different things you know kind of underground style so there wasn't really this pressure but that first time that i i had a fight that i prepared for um i had family there i was in front of a lot of people it was a professional stage um you know and there was a real fear that set in and there was a real uh, consequences to winning and losing. Um, That was probably the the biggest moment that where I was like, dude, this is awesome. I love this and uh, I want to chase this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. What what kind of advice do you have, Matt? I mean, I know the game has changed so much since you first got into it, but, uh, what kind of advice do you have for parents out there now whose kids, you know, they're really turned on by watching UFC and MMA, and they're they're looking to get in, into it professionally themselves? What, what how, how would you kind of tell
1: uh, those parents to steer the kids? Uh, it would be the same as, like, I tell guys that come into my gym on day one and they want to be fighters. I tell them, um, be martial artists first. Uh, that's really what's going to last you a lifetime. That's where you're going to learn lessons. You'll learn some leadership. You'll learn some discipline. Um All these things that will make you a better person. Um, You know, we're big in my gym on developing humans first, athletes second. Um, And those are things that last a lifetime for for people. So that's what I I try to push. Um, For those that want to pursue it as a career, it's a tough gig. Um, I wouldn't really suggest anyone pursue this specifically as a career. I would say pursue the martial arts and if this happens to if it happens to segue into a career in fighting then you know then so be it um you know i would say you know like do some wrestling or or you know whatever um jiu um muay thai whatever you know martial art and then um you know learn learn how to compete first and things like that and then you know see if if uh, if a uh, um mixed martial arts cage Style fighting is the right thing for you yeah very well
2: said and some great advice there and and Matt, what type of uh what type of disciplinarian are you as a father when it comes to you know i'm sure that you're very disciplined in the gym and in your career and what you do and how you train but what
1: type of disciplinarian are you when it comes to being a dad um well i was a different disciplinarian before i had my daughter <laughs> 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 yeah you know she kind of changed that whole scene all around um you know, she's only three years old, so she's and she's a real firecracker. So it, it really – she's really – it really uh, uh, changed my whole perspective on everything. But with my boys, you know, the twin boys, and, and they've always been really great. Um, they, they haven't – yeah, they've been easy kids. So I haven't had to deal with a lot of discipline um, because they've just simply been so disciplined naturally. Um so I didn't, uh, to be honest, I hadn't had to deal with it a lot. Now, when I had my daughter, and you know, she's only three years old, um, you know, we just started kind of disciplining her a lot more. And, it's a complete, yeah, it's a completely different job. Um, so, you know, I'm very strict with her now. Uh, you know, for the longest time, I certainly was uh, sap and just kind of let her get away with whatever she wanted. But she's getting that age where it's going to start counting. So, you know, I'm very, very strict with her now. Um you know, the, the, I try, I try to focus mainly though, um, even with my boys and I think they just uh, caught on to it a lot quicker The my main focus is like action and consequence. So whatever action you take, you know, is your choice. And then, um, but there's going to be a consequence for it and it may be good and be bad depending on the action that you take. And, and that's, what's going to happen when they're, uh, will, you know, when they're free in real life, when they're adults. So, uh, I just try to put that way, like, you have the choice to do whatever you want to do. Um, you're just going to get a different consequence depending on your choice. So so rather than, you know, just saying, you know, you better do this or else, I say, well, you can do this if you want or you can do this if you want, and, you know, you make your choice.
2: Yeah, and I, I'm right there with yeah. you, Matt. I, I, have, I have three boys, and then we got our girl on the fourth try there. If we didn't get her on four, we'd have five by now, but it changed – uh everything for me i'm still struggling with that uh, i'm still a strap she's only 5 now and i'm still trying to uh, improve my uh um you know <laughs> discipline with her
1: yeah and i don't know how how bad i don't know if bad's the right word but you know you know how wild your daughter is but my daughter i we had to crack down on her cuz i mean she was she would run through the stores that We could never you know, every single time we go to the store like okay that's time to make dad chase me every time we go to the mall same thing uh, we go to the airport. Um, she'd start cursing at the airport in front of people. I mean, I could I could go off with stories. Like you know, she would scratch other kids, um, try to bite other kids. So, I mean, she's a real piece of work. Um, but then when I started, you know, really cracking down on her and and sort of the action consequence thing I was just talking about, I really sort of started sort of started implementing that with her and. She caught on and now she's starting to catch on and she's calmed down a lot and she just started her first day of preschool today. So, um, you know, having something to keep her occupied, something positive to keep her occupied like that makes a big difference, I think. And then, um, getting her into the martial arts programs at, at the, at my gym, uh, certainly help out a lot. It's just, it's just, you know, the energy just needs to be driven in the proper direction and she seems to handle it pretty well, um. But, it, yeah, in terms of discipline, you know, I try not to be a disciplinarian. Um, I, I try to lead more so and, and, again, really, really focus on the action consequence part. And, um, and you know, a lot of times that turns into discipline, right, if your uh, action consistently creates a bad consequence, that consequence has to get worse and worse or they'll just accept it. So, you know, uh, it, it, it certainly, you know, it, can turn into a discipline thing. And but uh, I, I try not to be that, uh, you know, overbearing disciplinary either. I, I want them to have the freedom to make mistakes.
2: Yeah, yeah, very well said. Very important too there. You, you plan on having any more, Matt, or are you all done?
1: Um, nope, don't plan on having any more I, at the moment at least. Personally, I love having kids. I'd like to have a, a bunch more. Yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to. Yeah, I'm right there
2: with you on that. Um, what uh, what kind of um, goals or plans do you have? Do you have any fights that you're training for now? What kind of goals or plans do you have here for the future?
1: Well, right now I'm focusing mainly on building my gym. Um, we just our one year anniversary will be in about ten days, so that's really where the my primary focus is right now is with that. Um, I might be fighting pretty soon though. I don't know. Like I'm waiting on the word from the UFC. Um, I put the feelers out there, told them I'm ready to go, I haven't heard anything back yet, usually they're pretty quick about it, so just kind of waiting on whatever they throw at my, throw my way. Okay, and and have
2: your, uh, have your boys, have they ever seen uh, any of your fights, whether it be, you know, live or, or or replay on uh, TV, YouTube, anything like that, or what do you think would be a good age for them to start seeing your fights?
1: Oh, no, they've seen a bunch of my fights, they've been to a bunch of my fights, they've been in the octagon with me after fights, so yeah they're they're very they're pretty involved in it. you know they come to my training all the time they watch me train um you know I'll be going to pick them up actually uh any any minute now, and they'll be yeah they'll and then they'll be training too so okay, yeah, that's awesome. all right, I don't want to take up too much
2: of your time here. last thing I want to hit you with Matt I'd love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast what type of advice do you have for that new father or for that about to be dad who's out there listening mm
1: you know, I think it'd be the same advice that I give any parent now, um, and, and just I, I just base this advice on my own observations and what I see a, lo- a lot of uh, uh, people doing these days, and um, and and what really comes down to it, my biggest uh, pet peeve is that I think too many parents are friends with their kids, and I think I made that mistake too, and that's exactly where I think I made the mistake with my daughter, and I would give them the advice to not be their friend even though that can certainly be I developed in but be a parent first and I think I see the you know the inverse way too often and I don't think it turns into I don't think that leads down a good path
2: yeah very well said I love the message this has been an honor for me I got to say Matt Brown you're a first class father and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on first class fatherhood
0: thank you for having me sir Nothing beats an American flag made in the USA, right? Well, how about an American flag made in the USA by veterans out of duty-worn fatigues from all branches of the military? That is exactly what you get with combat flags. Combat flags are handcrafted from duty-worn fatigues and offer a tangible piece of freedom to the American people. Each flag is accompanied by a professionally designed and printed card that tells the story of service of a soldier, marine, airman, sailor, or coastie who wore the fatigues used to make the flag. They are the real deal, Dad, so what are you waiting for? Visit CombatFlags.com and use the promo code FATHER, and First Class Fatherhood listeners will save 10% off their purchase. Veteran-owned, American-made. CombatFlags.com, promo code FATHER. All right, joining me now is a first-class father. He is the former WBC, WBO, Ring Magazine, and lineal middleweight champion of the world. His two fights against Jermaine Taylor are two classics, the first of which was named Fight of the Year by Boxing Writers Association of America. He is the pride of Youngstown, Ohio, and it is so cool for me to say, Kelly Pavlik, welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
3: Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, Let's start
2: right here. How many kids do you have, and how old are they?
3: I got two kids and my daughter is the older, she's thirteen, and my son is ten. Okay, yeah, very cool. What type of uh sports or activities are they into? You know what? Um with my kids they, right now my daughter she's in uh she got tap, hip hop, I think classical dance. So she she's involved in all that. Um my son she played baseball and tried other sports. <clears throat> gymnastics. Um my son, he's, you know, off and on playing what he wants, but now you know, we got him doing jiu-jitsu, jujitsu. I think um soon he's gonna get into the wrestling. Um I play around a little bit with the boxing with him, although I really don't want him boxing. Um so that that's kinda like where we're at. Uh you know, I kinda let them choose what they want to do. So
2: yeah, very cool. All right, Kelly, please, if you could just take one minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do.
3: Oh, let's know what I do. I was a former, or what I've done, um, I was a former middleweight world champion, um, you know, three-time middleweight world champion, and, uh, you know, so that was pretty much pretty much it on that. And now, you know, I'm into, I own two gyms, um, I have a podcast show. I do, uh, also, we're, right now I'm in the process of doing an all sports combine challenge from fifth grade to twelfth grade. We're going to be running that throughout the country. So I'm involved right now in a, in a lot of things. We got an app, got an app coming out, the Sweet Science Plus, which will be boxing, learning, you know, learning the fundamentals of boxing from Former world champion, and uh, they, my partner is uh, a former world uh, title challenger, and Billy Lau, and he has a gym down in Naples, Florida, and they also have a diet plan, nutrition plan, and uh, recipes. So, okay, yeah, a lot going that, on there. How did the Kelly? How did
2: the experience of becoming? How old were you when you first became a father, and how did the experience of becoming a dad kind of change
3: your perspective on life? Oh, you know, I, I was 24 when we had our uh, daughter, and it's really, I mean, I'm sure other parents, they, they know, but if somebody didn't know, it it, um, it changes the world, and, and your world a big time. And what's funny about it was, you know, when I, I turned pro in 2000, so that was six years before I had my daughter, and or before my wife, you know, <laughs> had my daughter, and, and we had it. Um, the boxing was kind of like, you know, yeah, I want to be a world champion and, and um, you know, I want the fortune and everything else. That's what kind of like the goal was. and It was more so about me at that point. Of course, you know, my parents and, and family and, and things like that was involved. But for the most part, like, I didn't have that much fear. I didn't, I don't know if it was maybe because I was 18, 19, 20 but it was just kind of like I knew what I wanted and it was more for me though. And then you know um when my wife got pregnant then it was um okay well you know you know she's pregnant and you know things are you kind of know things are going to change a little bit and but you're still not grasping it you know cuz it's my first child and and um I'm not really understanding what's going on but the moment my daughter was born it was crazy. It was like the whole, the whole aspect of my career changed in the outlook and the way I went about the career. You know, a lot of things came into play. I'm 24, still, you know, young young man, and but now I know like health and and um, you know and and to win a world title and make the money so that my kids could have the best future as possible is a big goal. So it wasn't so much about me making it as much as it was to make sure they had, my, you know, my kids had it. And, again, like I said, my health was a big issue. Now I worried about the health before my daughter. She like, okay, well, you know, I'm young and that's going to happen to me. And if it does, oh, well. But after you have your kids, you know, that's the whole thing just changes big time. So, I mean, it's a it was a big game changer. And, and of course, the worrying, you know, it still remains just about everything, you know, with, with uh what they're doing from academics to uh, social life to being out to being around the house, you know, constant um, making sure they're doing the right thing. Yeah, very well said. And did did becoming a dad, did that influence your decision to to
2: retire from boxing?
3: Absolutely. You know, um, there's always things on professional fighters when they retire, um, you know, some they retire too soon. You know, you're kind of, then if you do, then if you don't in Boston, um if you retire too early it's because you had problems and issues and this and that. And then if you go too long and you you know, get head trauma and everything else, well now you are your punchy and everything else, so it was hard. But yeah, absolutely. Um first of all I knew I wanted to retire after I won the world title I was kinda counting down to retirement. As were a lot of other fighters would be looking for the next fight. And I was fortunate with my father and mom and, and family um, that they were, you know, close with me and made sure that everything I made was put away and I was doing the right things with it. And uh, my retirement, yeah, it, that was a big factor. I mean, to me it was like what good is the money and, and, and having the, the belts and everything else that I won if I'm not going to be able to really share them and enjoy them. 20 years, 30 years down the line. And that, that played a big role in my me wanting to retire, you know. I, um, first of all, I, I was done with it. Um, I lost it, a little bit in the heart to do the sport. And everybody knows in boxing, when you lose it, it's a dangerous hobby to have. Um, that was the first thing that, of course, yeah, my kids. Yeah,
2: yeah. It, it's, you've had an incredible career. Do your children... Have they rewatched uh, some of your fights, and and are they fight fans?
3: Yeah, my daughter has. She's kind of, you know, um, she's a little lady, so she, you know, she watched a little bit of it, but it didn't get her attention. Um, she she didn't follow it much. She knows of everything that I've done. Uh, my son now, um, he kind of gets those little spurts where he, he goes to a little spurts where he wants to watch me fight and watch some of my old fights. And he will go on YouTube and, and put them on. So he knows, and, he, and he's always got questions. You know, he asks about it. But uh, for the most part, yeah, they, they know of the career. Um, none of them seen a fight live. You know, at the time, they were still really young, and I retired in 2012. So, you know, we didn't take a stand in the fight, so bring them around that. You know, my big uh, take on it is, especially, like, even with social media, my kids, you know, I, I don't think they should have social media. They're still young, um, thirteen. Whoever they're chatting with, or, or they want to talk to, they could call on the phone or see in school or you know whatever else. Um, so I, I don't put them out there, and I, I didn't want to, especially like my daughter. She was six when I retired, and you know, I was young to be out of fight. And I don't think that was, in my opinion, how I how I felt that she should be there. So they didn't get to see a live fight, but now they they watch some of the film.
2: Yeah, it's amazing what we have access now. Just walking around the town, we can watch uh, fights from years ago. It's incredible the technology that we have available. Uh, And and many kids are now, they have an interest in uh, MMA or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu just because of the popularity of the UFC. Um, But what, in your opinion, is a good age for for a kid to start actually striking? You know, with everything we know now, obviously with CTE and all that stuff, what do you think is a good age uh, for kids to really start getting involved?
3: Oh, you know, that's a good question, and, and that's a touchy. Um, I, I'm not a neurologist, uh, so I kind of don't know the exact effects of it. I know at, at a young age, you're, most of your kids are not hitting that hard, but also, you know, times are changing, too. I mean, kids are bigger, stronger, and faster. Um, to be a really good striker, especially in boxing, you know, because the UFC world is totally different. I got a lot of friends that do UFC, but I know it sounds crazy. UFC is a lot safer than boxing, though. Um, reason being is when you get hurt in the UFC, they stop the fight right away. And rightfully so. I mean, you know, guys can come down with a knee, an elbow, or whatever to uh, hit you. But in boxing, if you get knocked down, you get your brain scrambled, you got 10 seconds to beat count. And then if you make that and the referee thinks you're okay, you could go on getting punched in the head for another 20 minutes and maybe get dropped again and get up and still be able to continue. Um, and that's the danger part of boxing. At a young age, I'm not a big fan of it, which is the reason my son, you know, and, and I know it's kind of like going both ways on this because I'm going to be training fighters and young kids. And if that's their, their choice, what they want to do, then, um, you know, that's good because boxing does help, too, and it does get kids off the street. It does give them some structure and discipline in their life. But, you know, I know I know that with my son, I don't want that. And nine years old, yeah, that's a little young and, and even like with football for these kids that are playing tackle, yeah, it, it's a young age and, and over the years, you know, if I, it accumulates. But also the bad part about it is though, that's also the best path that boxing and striking to put a kid in too because that's how you learn, that's how they get sharp, that's how they get the experience and so it's kind of hard. I mean, it's a, a hard thing for me to really give my opinion on because, again, I, I feel that it could be dangerous. And at the same time, I'm going to be training kids, though. So, you know, so I, I don't know on that. I mean, I guess it comes down to the individual, the trainer, how many times they sport a kid and, and how many fights he has at a young age. So,
2: yeah, and I know, I mean, it's definitely, um, a, you just mentioned the football there. That's definitely a struggle for a lot of dads out here with kids that that, that are begging to play, you know, contact football, especially in grade school. And um, I'm with you there. I, I I think it should be at least in high school uh, for the contact just because of the uh, the amount of hits that they take. And, uh, you know, with some of the stuff that they have out there, it gets, it gets kind of scary now that we know some of the results of it. I
3: agree. You know, I, I think a good thing now that they got is that black football. You know, these kids can get out there and, you know, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> learn the basics of of the sport without taking the, the trauma to the head and even the pounding on the body, you know, um, just in general. And then I, I think maybe even seventh and eighth grade now, maybe do the tackling so they can be prepared going into high school. But, you know, some of these kids start at six years old and, and up to 12 and they play peewee football and they're tackling and getting hit and there's, you know, With sixty pounds, or seventy pounds, or eighty pounds with a helmet, running full speed, and another kid, eighty pounds or ninety pounds, hitting head, you know that's enough for enough for some damage.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, All right. Well, Kelly, what type of disciplinarian are you as a father? How do you kind of handle discipline as a
3: dad? You know what? That's kind of funny um, that you bring it up. Being a former world champion boxer. my my kids uh, with me they they kind of like not laugh at me but they they take me serious they know when I get mad but I'm kind of the one to uh, get by you know back in the day it used to be wait till your dad gets home you know you're gonna be in trouble and, and everybody you know perked up and I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry um, actually it's the opposite way you know when the mama gets home you're the one you know what she says the first time they listen. Uh, <laughs> So my kids, you know, I'm like the big teddy bear, um, but I I do discipline, you know, and and it's hard for a father because I know my kids, when I discipline them, you you eventually got to take something away from them or, you know, ground them or something like that, and it sucks, but, uh, you know, we're not too strict. Um, I, I feel, again, just in my opinion, sometimes when you're too strict, the kids build resentment or they feel like... They're not able to do enough. So I'm pretty lenient as far as the kids being outgoing and having fun with their friends or doing things like that. Um, but, you know, school, great. That's a big one. House, the chores around the house is a big one. The, the kids have to do that. Um, respecting others and another. um adults. It is a really big one too, you know. Thank you, uh yes sir, yes ma'am. And just having that respect factor for other people, that's a big one. And I think this day and age a lot of that's lost and I think some of the kids are really entitled to you know, they feel like they're entitled to everything and that they don't have to do that. But I we strongly um put that on our kids to to be that way, be respectful. So, you know, just all the things that that the way it should be, you know, that's what we do with the kids. Um, And and we've been fortunate. I mean, my kids have done very well in school. They're very polite. Um, We usually don't have to worry about them acting up when they're not home. And, you know, so I think that just comes down to staying on them about it.
2: Yeah, very well said. And another thing that has changed a little bit as far as today goes is bullying in school. I know there's a lot of attention more placed on watching out for bullying. I know my kids in their school, they call it roasting now, is really like the way they kind of sidestepped around it. Uh, how do you kind yeah. of go about ha- telling your kids how to handle
3: like a bully situation? My wife usually takes care of that one, too, because the boxer does come at me and I, on that part. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, she, she handles that. Um you know, I tell them, and again, you know, don't put your hands on anybody because you wouldn't want nobody putting their hands on you. And then, then I also tell them, too, if somebody puts their hands on them, that is fair game at that point. Um, bullies, you know, I tell them, stand up to the bullies because, as the old saying goes, and for year, a long time now, 100 years, the only way to beat a bully is to stand up to a bully, you know, and it's true. You stand up to a bully and, and even if you get beat up, but you put a good fight up, he's not going to bother you no more. Um, a bully is a bully, and I'm totally against it. I don't like it. Um, you know, that's the one big thing I'm really against is the bullying. And, again, in this day and age, it's dangerous to be a bully. But um, I, so I, I don't, I, you know, be nice, be respectful to everybody. Treat Everybody as you want to be treated. But if somebody, you know, tries to put harm on you or get in your face, I tell them too, you know, if you feel like they're getting in your personal space without even throwing a punch, do what you gotta do. Because the first punch could be the last punch or it could cause serious injury. So do what you gotta do to protect yourself. Don't let people walk on you. And, and we do put that in. Again, my kids have not been in trouble with school. Uh, teachers at the parent-teacher conference, the guidance counselor, you know, they they love our kids and and tell us how polite they are. My daughter has ran into a little bit of bullying and I told her, you know, avoid her. Well, I can't, Dad. I can't avoid her. She, you know, does this and follows me here. And I say, well, go talk to the teachers. She's done that, you know, and and we probably got it worked out. We eventually came to a point, I said, this, if he starts getting in your personal space and and you feel like it's a threat, I said maybe you're just gonna have to take care of it. And um, you know we, we we worked on that part of it and it never came to that. Thank God. Yeah. And you know it all got results. I think that's the way it is with, with bullying. You know I do not want my kids being cocky. I don't want my kids being bullies or or uh, starting anything. I just want them to go about their business and have fun with their friends. And if they get bullied, or if they see bullying going on, we always tell them, you know, stick up for the one getting bullied. Um, you know, don't get involved like to a fighting standpoint of it. Or if somebody's bullying you, though, make sure you defend yourself, stand up. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, think
2: that, I, I think that's great advice. And one of the things that's so scary about it now is that it seems like the, the most of the bullying is done in a cowardly manner, like on social media. And we see a lot of kids that are this cyber bullying, and it really it does does a, a real number on their mental uh, uh, uh,
3: capabilities. Like it is. cyber bullying is, 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 social media is the worst thing I think for kids, and I don't understand why kids need it. I mean, really, your kids. You know, social media. The original purpose of social media was for people to talk. You know, and adults dating or, or military people who want to stay in contact with people throughout that they went to high school, things like that. I mean, I believe social media is for adults. There's a, adult topics, everything else. When you get these young kids whose brains haven't have for, fully um, formed yet and developed, and they get on there, and the bullying gets worse, and then it's spread through not only their high school or their classroom, now it's to the three high schools in that area, you know, or in that mm-hmm. county. And now it's spread to, you know, all over the place, and and once it's on social media, it's not like it was in a classroom. Like this kid says, you got a big nose and your ears are big. Now it's out out there. The kids are screenshotting it, and they're and it's spread all over the place. And once it's on the internet, it's there forever, you know. And that, and I think that's where it's just a, a really dangerous, and for parents not to have access or know what's going on. I, I call BS on that because if you are going to allow your kids to have social media, and I'm not knocking any parent for that, millions of parents have let, let their kids on social media, so, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I, I think that some of these parents that are not on their kids' social media, watching what they're doing for their kids' own safety also, and monitoring that that social media, that, that that's a um, different there, you know, and there's ways of, of monitoring it, and... I think that plays a big role in cyber bullying. It really does. I think it can be re- prevented. I think it can be stopped, and it just falls on not so much the kids, uh, but the parents. And yeah, I think that, I... that's that's the truth. And I'm sorry. I mean, you fall in that category if you don't check social media and know what you're just doing. Because we could all say my kids are an angels. I still my kids. I know my kids are great, but. When certain things happen, the first thing I do is ask my kids or go to somebody else that was there and ask them before I take my kid's word, too, though, because we know how it is with kids. Um, I think parents need to do that, like, oh, my kid would never never do that, and you don't have to check their social media. Well, maybe you should, you know, because obviously there's a lot of cyber bullying out there with kids, and it's happening somewhere. Yeah, I
2: couldn't agree with you more, Kelly. And it's definitely something, I mean, my oldest just turned 13, so we're just into the beginning of the teenage years here. And and it's just a kid, even if it's not your own kid, just getting into the school and having a kid that has a phone that's unmonitored or unchecked, I mean, they could just get on, get in and see anything. They have access to so much that they shouldn't have access to. And it's really, you can't stop it. You can only try to, uh, you know, teach them a little bit as they go here.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, the- it's tough. I mean, again, it's social media, and it's 2019. That's the way it kind of is. But, again, it falls on, on the parents at that point. Um, if your kid's doing that, and they know, and there's a lot more suicide because of that, and and kids are just, it's just a lot worse on kids, like I said, because now it can be talked about all night long, and it could be people now you can have hundreds of people involved laughing and and pointing fingers and picking on you, and not only does this high school know about it now, but this other high school, because this kid's friends with these people from this school, you know, so Mm -hmm. now the entire county and city and town knows, you know, around that age group that this is happening and this kid's getting picked on and they all hop on, and that's where it's dangerous, and you know, that, that could be prevented, it really can, it could be stopped, and you know, people need to stand up to that. Yeah, definitely. And,
2: and what could you tell me about your podcast here? What was the genesis
3: of the punchline? The punchline with, uh, Kelly Powick and James Dominguez is a boxing show. And we talk. you know, we cover fights and, and we talk from as far as prospect, um, to the world champion fight, championship fight. And it's a really neat format. How that we got set up, uh, we do it where, like, when you watch it, it looks kind of tacky because our heads are in our phone. But so we're one of the few shows where our show is based off of the fans and the listeners' questions and comments. So we pretty much stay reading their questions and comments. Like, we'll start off the topic or about a big fight that may have happened, and then we just let the listeners, you know, throw their questions and answers out there for their opinions. And I think, you know, a lot of times, even when we were growing up or even now, if you're listening to a show, you you if there's something you agree or disagree or that you want to put in, usually you got to call in if you get lucky enough to get through or you can't call in. As with our show, the, the, the listeners like talking and interacting with us and asking questions and being able to have us answer their questions. And it's almost like just watching it on TV but being a part like you're there because or answer a question so it's pretty neat
2: yeah that's definitely one of the benefits of the technology is the ability to interact now with the, the listeners I, I find that too on my podcast just the access that you have to uh to get down to that level like you said you're right it was so restricted years ago where if you wanted to call in you got that busy signal and that was all you yeah. ever got so um uh well what i'm gonna i'm yeah. gonna include a uh link in the description of this podcast episode so my listeners can tap it and get over to your podcast what kind what
3: kind of goals or plans do you have here for yourself for the future kelly Man, right now I'm busy. And speaking of parenting, you know that's that's the biggest thing is trying to make the time, you know, get the most time with my uh, with my kids. And when it's not, they let me know too. Like, hey, you've been gone. Um, you know, I, I have a gym right outside of Youngstown. It's about 15 minutes from my house. It's a fitness gym. I have that. I'm in the process of opening a boxing gym, um, right right by the house in the same town. Um, again, I'm doing a combine for young athletes up, up to seniors in high school. I think it's going to really benefit them also. Um, you know, I have this app that's coming out, this app. So I'm really kind of all over the place. And, and uh, you know, then again, my kids, you know, I, my wife, she's only one person. So she has one kid at dance. And she's getting dinner ready, or making sure all the school stuff is done. I got to kind of come and relieve her and pick up my other you know, kid, and take them to jujitsu or, or do something with them. So it's, it's pretty much on the go till about nine o'clock at night. Nine o'clock, I I'm able to sit back and kick my feet up and usually go over the so, social media, my uh, the punchline page for the podcast and answer questions. 'Cause we keep content out all week long and I just take care of some of that and I try to get in bed by eleven thirty. And a lot of times I try to find time to you know to go play with, with my kids and the family. Yeah, very cool. All right.
2: Last thing I'm gonna hit you with here, Kelly, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there
3: listening? Man, they're like what my parents just say. Enjoy your time with them because it goes quick. It's actually scarier, and I know, you know, saying is wait,
0: wait till you get older.
3: Time's gonna go faster, and you know, I'm 37 now, and I just know how fast it's going now, and I, I definitely know it's gonna get faster. And try to cherish the uh, the moments and, and the time that you got because it goes really fast. So you know, yeah. You know,
2: Yeah, well said. I love the message. This has been an honor for me. i got to say, Kelly Pavlik, you're a first-class father, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood.
3: Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: Dads, are you tired of taking supplements that never deliver? Well, Redcon One was created to ensure that you get real hardcore products that deliver real results. Trusted by four-time world strongest man, Brian Shaw, and founded by supplement entrepreneur, Aaron Singerman, Redcon One is crushing the industry. You have to try their MRE bars, which are packed full of nutritious food sources that will replenish your system when you need it most. And they taste so good, your toddler will think they're eating a candy bar. But we're talking whole food meal replacement. And right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners can save 20% on their entire order from Redcon 1. Simply use the promo code FATHER at the checkout. So let's go, dads. For the highest state of readiness, choose Redcon 1. Visit Redcon1.com, use the promo code FATHER, and save 20%. All right, joining me now is a first-class father. He is known around the world as a WWE superstar. He is also a former Arena Football League player. He is the author of a book titled There's No Such Thing as a Bad Kid, How I Went from Stereotype to Prototype. It is a big honor for me to say, Titus O'Neil, welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
4: Thank you very much.
0: All
2: right, let's start
0: here. How many kids do you have and how old are they?
4: I have two sons. They are 13 and 15 years old.
2: Okay, very cool. What type of uh, sports or activities are they into?
4: Uh, they play pretty much every sport. Uh, the main ones are football, basketball, track, and uh, soccer.
2: Okay, awesome. Now, do you get involved with coaching any of their teams, or do you step back and enjoy that from the sideline?
4: Uh I help out with coaching as well.
2: Okay, very cool. All right, Titus, please, just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about
4: your background. Uh well I'm uh forty two year old, uh college graduate from the University of Florida, former football player there. Also uh played uh some arena football as well and uh come from very humble beginnings. My uh my mother uh was raped at eleven years old, had me at twelve, uh which is in my uh, so, uh part of that can be uh, found, a, heard about, or read about in my book. Um, I uh, grew up poor. Went to a place called the Florida Sheriff's Boys Ranch, and it was there that my life changed uh, for the better. I heard a sentence. Uh, two sentences. One was uh, that there, there's no such thing as a bad kid, which is the title of my book, as well as uh, you know, a gentleman by the name of Patrick Manoel telling me that he loved me and that he believed in me. And he told me that he believed in me at a time that everybody else thought I would be dead or in jail by the time I was 16. So uh, I went from being an underperforming kid in school to being an honor roll student and honor roll, uh, I would say, person, uh, simply because of the love and support and attention that those that invested in me had nothing to gain in return put into me. Yeah, you have an incredibly inspiring story,
2: Titus, and how, how did the experience of becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life?
4: Uh, well, it's just, uh, I mean, I always knew if I wasn't anything else, just based on my childhood, not growing up with a father, not having a male role model in the home that I could look up to, uh, I always knew that I if, I, if I was successful at anything else, it would definitely be a father. Uh, it was a role that I always wanted to be in, and and so it didn't really change my perspective on fatherhood. It just helped me embrace my manhood a lot more, uh, understanding the responsibility, not just from a financial sense, but from a social and emotional state, uh, and being able to uh, to help rear a, a child or two now uh, in the right direction, and I can, the, the biggest The way that I can do that and illustrate that is by the way I live and the way I walk and talk. Yeah, you
2: you definitely have become someone who has provided a lot of service to other people, you know, just through the time that you dedicate. And one thing I speak about a lot on my podcast is about uh, the fatherless crisis that we have in our country, which I think is the biggest problem that we have right now. And and just going by the statistics, you know, um, from what I see, it has devastating results in our society. You see it on a personal level helping out so many kids. How bad is the fatherless problem from what you're seeing and what effect is it having on on our society?
4: Well, I think it all depends on what demographic of uh, people you're talking about. You know, in the black and brown community, uh, it is very uh, detrimental and and, uh, actually uh, it determines a whole lot for a lot of kids uh, because they don't have that problem with a male role model in the home. But overall, I would say that, you know, I used to have this notion that one of our biggest problems in America or in the world is the lack of male, a positive male leadership, uh, whether that be in the home or in the father. But there, uh, as time has gone on, I've realized, you know, I, I, I was raised by a very strong mother. The only thing that my mom could never do is teach me how to be a man. Um, and I, I think that there are two... Uh, There are same-sex homes that are, you know, uh, raising successful families and being able to make things work in a positive way. There are uh, single-parent families that are doing uh, uh, amazing work. Uh, But to me, uh, as far as my life and how my life was impacted, it was always a a mentor or a coach, and a lot of them were males, and uh, they served as kind of father figures to me. And so uh, I wouldn't say it's the greatest crisis, you know, going on in the world because we, I mean, not having a father is at least of somebody. Some people's concerns of not having a home or not having something to eat. You know, I think is much more detrimental to a person's psyche and and growth than not having a father. Uh, there have been a lot of guys and girls out there that have been raised by single parents and it turned out just fine. And but uh, for, for years. There has been a, this, you know, stigma, of, you know, uh, for, for some women that, you know, they can, I don't need a man. Well, you do. Um, eventually you will at some point uh, because there there needs to be a male and female influence on everybody's life, I feel. Uh, everybody can't have a motherly touch and everyone can't have a fatherly hair. And so we all need that. We all need some people that we can talk to and grow with. And uh, and lead us in the right direction to be the best human beings possible that we could possibly be, and I think that males and females can both do that. Yeah, very well said. And
2: how, now, growing up without a father, I know a lot of us as dads, we kind of draw from our uh, experience the way our fathers disciplined us. We're growing up without a father figure in your life. How how do you handle discipline with your boys?
4: Completely opposite than what I uh, than what I grew up with, because my my discipline usually came in the form of physical uh, punishment and spankings uh, and whoopings and things like that. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do that unless I absolutely have to. And fortunately, I haven't spanked my kids or hit my kids since they were maybe you know three and five. Uh, the only thing that would draw me to spank or hit my kids if they ever bullied somebody or if they were disrespectful to somebody or if I ever you know. Um, if I found out that they hurt somebody uh, intentionally, uh, then, yeah, we we would have a problem. But I think my kids, and much like many kids and even adults, uh, if you have a certain mindset, you know, you get immune to whoopings. Like, I got immune to physical punishment, Well, so it didn't even matter to me, oh, I'm going to get a whoopings or so what. Uh, my kids are more afraid to disappoint me than they are of getting a whooping. They don't want to disappoint me. And, I, and same vice versa, I don't want to disappoint my kids uh, at all. I don't want to embarrass my family in the least bit late. That's why I try to stay away from a lot of situations that would put me in a position where I would have to answer to them, that I and I don't want to have to do that.
2: Yeah, very cool. And, and I know right now that there are a lot of men, a lot of dads out there that would like to contribute and help out and maybe uh, give some of their time to uh, less fortunate kids what is the best way you could recommend to any dad or any guy out there that's willing uh, to try to serve others and to help kids that are in need? What's the best route that they can go uh, to get that done?
4: I would say you could definitely start at any local YMCA, Boys and Girls Club uh, organization. You could start at a local public school, go on and figure out a way to coach, be a mentor, be a tutor. Uh, Churches, you know, always have outreach programs that can help uh, foster better relationships and foster relationships for uh not only male role models but female role models as well um, you know I think that anywhere you go where there's a need uh there's an opportunity for you to serve that need and so the schools you can never go wrong, churches you can never go wrong, and local organizations nonprofits that all deal with kids, you can never go wrong, especially in the underserved community.
2: Awesome. And and what's next for you, Titus, WWE superstar career? What, what's what's next? What kind of goals do you have for yourself for the future?
4: I uh, definitely want to be in Hollywood. So that's the goal that I have of doing movies and film uh, and television. So we'll, we'll see. That's, that's something I'm definitely working for.
2: Awesome. I love that. All right, last thing I'll hit you with here, Titus, I'd love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening
4: uh it, uh for for the new dad I would say just try to live for live live for your kids, not through your kids. A lot of guys you know they they try to if they have a son they try to force him into sports and make them do one thing or the other or they're artists or whatever they try to direct them in the path that they went. And I would say just live your life and, allow, and and do everything you can to foster a healthy and, and happy environment and, and an open environment as well. When your kids ask you questions, answer them. Don't, you know, say, because I said so, that's not an answer, because eventually if you don't answer the questions that they ask you, they're going to ask them of someone else that may not give them the right information. Yeah, very well said. I
2: love the advice. This has been an honor for me. I got to say, Titus O'Neill, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class
0: Fatherhood.
4: Yes, sir. Thank you.
0: All right, and joining me now is a First Class Father. He was the ninth man inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. He defended his light heavyweight championship title five times. He is the CEO of Punishment Athletics, and he is known as the Huntington Beach Bad Boy. It is so cool for me to say Tito Ortiz, Welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
5: Ah, thank you much, man. I appreciate you.
0: All right, let's start right here. How many kids do you have and
2: how old are they?
5: Uh, well, I have three boys. I have uh, an eight, uh, 17-year-old, just turned 17, and twin 10-year-olds.
2: Wow, very cool. I have three boys and then I got the girl myself. Yeah, you all done? or you have any more chance for the girl here?
5: Uh, three times is my charm. I'm okay with three boys, man. That's it. That's it. That's all I can afford, and uh, that's all I want to invest my time into. So they get full my attention, and that's uh, the most important thing. And uh, I'm lucky with boys, so I'll stay with just boys.
2: <laughs> okay, very cool. What type of sports or activities are they into?
5: Well, my oldest has been wrestling uh, since he's been six. He's actually at the uh, national uh, tournament right now in Fargo uh, for wrestling, and my uh, two young ones that are ten—they wrestled from five years old until nine and then they just started doing jiu-jitsu and kickboxing so i switched it up on them just because they you know they, they got a little burned out of uh the wrestling because it is tough it is hard but uh jiu-jitsu is uh, giving a little different aspect of submissions and everything and uh, a little respect of the martial arts side of it
2: yeah that's cool now do you do you teach them the stuff do you coach them or do you kind of step away and let them have other instructors and coaches
5: well i i i teach them moves once in a while but they don't listen to me, and it's kind of crazy. As a father, you think of being a world champion. You'd have a world champion father. You'd learn everything from him. But I just think it's just that father-son uh, attitude where a coach needs to step in the middle of there to be a coach and let me be a father, and I think that's really important. And, um, but when it comes to, like, uh, strength and conditioning stuff, I for surely do that with them because I'm able to push them. They listen to me, so it, it helps. But there is times I do show them a few moves, and I'll watch them during uh, their training, and, and they'll pull a move off, and the coach will be like, where did you learn that from? I'm like, oh, my dad showed me. So uh, <laughs> I try to find that happy medium in between where I'm I'm not being an overbearing father. Uh, i trying to be the coach the whole time. So I just kind of give them little little positive reinforcement of the things that they do to, to keep them going.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. All right, Tito, please, do me a favor here. Just take a minute to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do.
5: Well, uh, of course, uh Tito Ortiz G's from Huntington Beach, California. Um, from the age of birth to six years old, I lived in Huntington Beach. Then, from six to 13, I uh, lived in Santa Ana, which is a little inland of Huntington Beach. A little bit uh poverty in the area. Um, I lived in a motel with my parents. My parents had a, a drug problem um, with heroin. Uh, my mother got sober when I was 13. Uh, it took me away from my father. And my father pretty much uh, just was absent. He uh, still uses uh, to this day, Um, and he's almost 80 years old. And I just try to be the father that my father never was. And I've worked really hard to get where I am today. You know, I have 22 years of mixed martial arts uh, career. You know, I walked into the wrestling room as a freshman in high school, and I asked the coach, where's the ring at? expecting wrestling being the same thing as WWF or WWE now, and it wasn't. And I was—I practiced for the first time, and I got to throw kids around. I was like, I'm not going to get in trouble for this, right? I'm like, no, you actually get points for it. So <laughs> I was hooked. My true name is Jacob, and uh, kind of a funny story in the Bible. Well, not a funny story, but funny story by myself. In the Bible, Jacob uh, wrestled against an angel. The angel saved his life by beating him and wrestling is what saved my life and put me on the right guidance and doing the right things to get me into mixed martial arts and keep me in school and um, I got my A degree. I was a semester away from getting my bachelor's degree, but I found this new sport called the Ultimate Fighting Championship, which is mixed martial arts, and became a world champion after a year and a half of competition. So I... Was an amateur when I first started, USC 13, May 30th, 1997. I never fought before ever. I fought the first time uh, for free because I didn't want to lose my scholarship for wrestling while I was in college. So I fought for free and uh, I stopped my first guy at 22 seconds, excuse me, 32 seconds. And then I caught myself in the finals against a guy who was a seasoned fighter. I was beating him. They stopped the fight, re stood it back up, and uh, he hit me with the right hand. I went to go take a shot on him. which is a takedown, and he caught me in a choke, and I had to tap, and I was hooked from that point out on. You know, I got attention like I never got had attention before as a kid. Um, just so many different things that I wanted to be a champion at mixed martial arts, and it took me about a year and a half to make that happen, and I ran uh, for five years undefeated with five uh, world titles, and you know, I look back at my 22-year career, and I'm very lucky because to the hard work and dedication that I've had through my life. I've been able to um, be successful and change my whole mentality of life, change the whole mentality of being a father, um, of being a, a, a patron of our country. And it's giving back and trying to do anything possible to um, show my children what hard work and dedication can really achieve in life. And um, I'm, I'm thankful for it because I kind of taught myself um, a lot of things, life learning things. Uh, myself, uh, you know, of course, watching movies and so forth, and not just watching a movie for the excitement, but watching a movie for the understanding or the thesis behind the movie of uh, what it truly was about and what the, what type of messages they were trying to send send out during the movie. And uh, I've understood uh, what love and hate and you know respect and values and things like this um, through films, which is crazy, but um, through life in general. Now at being 44 years old. I, I've brushed off a lot of tarnish that came, that uh, has built up through the years, but, you know, now life has been reinvigorated to where now uh, I'm still competing. I'll be fighting in October, and, uh, you know, life's been really interesting for me. It's been a, a complete uh, roller coaster. I've seen the peaks like no other, and I've seen the dooms of valley like no other, but it seems like I've come to bounce back just through hard work and dedication and always doing the right thing, making sure I don't step on anybody to get ahead and uh, just be respectful and be a patriot of our country and be thankful for the uh, government we are, excuse me, the country we live in. And, um, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just thankful. I'm very, very proud of being an American-Mexican. Of course, Mexican descent, my uh, father, fifth generation here in California
2: yeah I mean, no doubt you've had an incredible journey here Tito and it's funny what you say there too, about how movies they do have an impact on on, on shaping a certain parts of your philosophy and certain parts of your life and I think that's one of the reasons I, I talk about a lot on the podcast is that right now there's such a a big fatherless problem going on in our country, and I think a lot of it comes from the way that dads are portrayed in movies and on t v it kind of puts in the mindset of these young men before they get into fatherhood that you know this is the end of my life, uh, now my, my whole world is over, I'm not going to have any more fun. We always see the dad as that guy who's kind of always getting kicked in the ass, he never gets laid, he never has any fun. So it gives them this um, false image of what fatherhood is truly all about. Now, And, and you grew up here with a, a little disconnect from your father being in your life, so how did becoming a dad kind of change your perspective on life?
5: Well, I think it, it was more of a fear tactic than anything. I was like, oh my gosh, whoa what I get myself into. And you know, at the point, uh, my ex-wife, Kristen, uh, who I was with, she was like, either we have a kid or I'm moving on. And um, my mother wasn't really there that much for me and she kinda had a mother figure upon me as my girlfriend. I mean, um, just as a, you know, kind of a a, a image of uh, someone who, she always helped me out. You know, whenever I had hard times, she always had my back, I mean, how my girlfriend does now, I mean, I never really had that growing up. My parents are always absent. My parents are always getting high. My parents were never there. They never showed me the things to become a better person or just uh, they just let me do whatever I wanted. I had free reign of whatever I wanted to do. But when I was with my ex, uh, Kristen, she kind of told me, like, no, this is the right way. You do this. You do that. You know, um, you want to be a better man. You got to do this. You got to do that. And... I didn't want to lose that, so I ended up having to have uh, Jacob, which was a blessing in disguise, because um, that's my oldest son, Jacob, but he kind of changed my life. Um, I was the world champion at the time, and I was kind of going on that other route of, you know, I I cheated, I uh, partied all the time, I was doing things because I never had that attention as a kid, and all of a sudden, being the world champion, I had that attention. I had those things presented to me. I had those things offered to me and I kind of lost myself and I was always fighting with her and I I really didn't want to have that around my child, Jacob. So she ended up moving to Arizona um, and this was all for the future of my son. And I ended up giving her a bunch of money and saying, please just take care of him because I don't want to be 15 years from now and not be able to afford anything. And I just want to make sure he has a great future, and he has, I mean, he has been to date, and I've been a part of his life uh, through, I've been uh, divorced, and I, I wish I could be a little closer, but of course, them living in Arizona, me living in California, it, it, it really hinders my opportunity to see him as much as I possibly can, but I just try to be the best father I possibly can with them and uh, I was with Jacob, and I I really just uh, try to make sure I don't make the same mistakes that my father did, you know, um, or my mom. My mom, uh, like I said, left my father when I was 13 years old, and she gave an opportunity. She left a man that she was with for 14 years who she loved very, very much, but he wouldn't get sober, and... She gave me a separate opportunity, because when I lived in Santa Ana, you know, I hung around gangs, um, and that was my family. You know, they they taught me the respect values. They taught me how to be tough, and we didn't have cell phones and iPads and Xboxes back then. You know, we we, we fought on the streets, and, you know, I did some things I probably shouldn't have did at the time, but I had no guidance. I had no father. I had no one to tell me what was right from wrong. I had to learn what was right from wrong. Either going to juvenile hall or uh, some of the older guys that were in the gang to tell me, "Hey man, you got to watch this. You got to watch that." Those things that I learned myself.
2: Yeah, and I I think that's one of the biggest problems. Like that's why I say the fatherless problem is such a a, such a devastating factor right now in the U.S. Just because without that guidance, um, I I know just from interviewing a whole bunch of the Navy SEALs, uh, I think like sixty something percent of their community is like grows up with a single parent home and they didn't have a father, but at least they got into a community where. They had these uh, male role models to look up to, which is much better than you're going to find out on the streets, out in California in gangland.
5: Well, I mean, it's true. Um, A a huge thing is is just uh, how can you break the chain? How can you break the cycle? I could have been like my father. I could have did drugs. I could have, I mean, because I've dabbled into everything but heroin. I've dabbled in everything. And I've I've been able to keep away from it um, thanks to my – my professional career, and my business career, and my children, but uh, just because it happened to you don't mean you, you need it to continue to happen. Break the cycle. Break the chain. Change your life by giving your child what you never had. That's what I have My my mentality is being a father, you know, and it goes all the way around. I mean, my twin boys, I mean, it's just so crazy how the, how life just kind of turns out and rolls around. Um, my ex girlfriend Jenna Jameson, When I first started dating her, I mean she was beautiful and amazing person. I mean just a person in general. I mean what she did for her professional career. She retired at the time we started dating, so I didn't really pay attention to that. I don't look at people's history. I just look at for the, that person they are at the time. And we had fun. We did Vegas. We, I mean we had a great time. Everything was great, and then all of a sudden she's like. I want to have kids, and I was like, you're perfect, you're beautiful, you're smart, you're outgoing, you're, you're a, a smart, business-savvy woman. I mean, I loved her. I mean, I loved her like no other. I was like, let's do this. Let's start this family. So I bought my home in uh, Huntington Beach on the water. We end up having our twin boys, Jesse and Journey, who are 10 now, and I thought I had the, white, the beautiful house, the white picket fence in front of it with a beautiful girlfriend, and I was perfect. Because I was married once, so I didn't want to get married again, because once I got married, it seemed like things changed completely, and I didn't want that to happen. I wanted things to just stay fresh. And if we're on the same mentality of just loving each other and treating each other with respect, that it would last forever. Well, there was little things, the hiccups that happened in between that, and drugs were a big uh, problem that, that ended up happening. You know, she uh, uh, used uh, drugs during the pregnancy, and she continued to use after the pregnancy, Um I went through about uh, three and a half years of just trying to fix her, trying to help her, trying to change her mentality of the party scene, and I couldn't do it. Now, I rewind this back to when I was 13, and my mother had to get sober, and she had to leave my father. Well, I put myself in those same shoes. I had to get sober because I had to go to court and fight for custody for my kids, which I have 100% custody of my children. She couldn't do the stuff the court asked her to do as, you know, uh, therapy, uh, drug testing, things like this just to show that she could be a responsible parent. She never did one step of any of those things. Now I have full custody of those kids because I did all those steps, and I was willing to sacrifice everything in my life to make sure my children had a great future, and I've done that. Now let's go ahead and fast forward that history to now six years later where she hasn't been in their life at all. Zero. No. No visitations. Nothing at all because she is not willing to do what the court asks. Now, as for a mother to do that, I just could never even understand that. I mean, as a father, I mean, I, like I said, I got dead sober. I was, I mean, I didn't even drink alcohol. Zero. Nothing at all for almost a year and a half to two years, just as I was going through the court stuff, just to make sure that. I showed the court that I could be a responsible father for these children's future. And the safety of my children were number one, and that's all I cared about. And I ended up winning. She ended up uh, not wanting to follow what the court asked. And I guess just within the last year, she moved to Hawaii. She has another boyfriend and, a, and a, uh, another kid. And I, I, I really just uh, left it at that. If she wants to leave it to that point, I'm going to be a good father and I'm going to do everything possible. Uh, six years ago, actually to August, I met a girl, Amber Nicole Miller, um, who was a ring card girl for the USC when it first got bought. And we're friends. I mean, nothing in a dating um, area, but just more of just acquaintance. And six years ago, we talked again, and I was going through the troublesome time that I was, and she was, she was there for me. She supported me. She had my back and I, I learned from my uh therapist that Tito stop trying to save your mom, find someone to save you, and I did that, and when I met Amber she was my savior She treats my children like her own she we're both on the same pages with uh education um- athlet- our um health the way they eat um, you know I, when they read i mean everything i mean. Education was never pushed on me when I was a kid growing up, ever. I mean, I don't even think I read a book until high school. It was just, as I say, education was never pushed on me, ever. Now, with my kids, it's a complete, was it 360-degree opposite where they read at a ninth-grade level, and they're only in the fourth grade. They're doing math, I mean, stuff that I did in junior high, and they're doing it in elementary. They're smart, super, super smart kids because where I'm able to push them, I'm able to get these things out of them that their brains are like sponges right now. They're they're absorbing so much. And my partner, uh, Amber, she is on the same page as me. We don't battle back and forth saying, well, you should go, go ahead and let them play games, or "Here, here's an iPad for them, or here's an, uh, a cell phone for them. No. Me and her have the same, same understanding as Stephen Jobs from uh, Apple, he said that a kid under the age of 14 should not have a cell phone, that they are not ready to have access to the world at that, any age younger of 14. So we're like, all right, let's do it. And let me tell you, it changed my kids' minds 100% because when I was with my ex for the first four years of their life, they had the iPad, they played the games, and they would have no conversation with other kids and just with, with adults or conversation with themselves because they're always playing games. Well, now they don't even have that. Now they're really outgoing kids where they introduce themselves to people. They walk up and have conversations with people. They're out riding their bikes. They're at the playground. They're going to the beach. You know, they have all these resources that they're able to be outgoing kids, not kids that are just dwelled upon a cell phone or an iPad, and that's all they're used to is just that. I mean, kids lose their social skills by doing that. And I think parents, kind of are not doing their job as parents. If you're going to bring a child into this world, you better be willing to sacrifice everything in your life to give them the best opportunity of their life and their future. The best mirror of a parent is their child. And, and, and I, I can't be literate on that more than anything, is the best mirror of a parent is their child. Because if their parent lets their child do anything and he's crazy and just always get into trouble and so forth. That means that parent didn't really care about his kid that much. His parent didn't, wasn't willing to sit the kid down and walk him through it and explain it to it. explain to the child why they should not be doing that, not just say, no, you can't do that because I said so. No, don't ever say that. Say, no, you can't do that because this, 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 and this. This is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. Explain to the child because they don't know anything. They're learning everything for the first time ever. They're seeing everything for the first time ever. And whatever they see you do, they're, they're, they're going to mimic it, hands down. And I, I just, I've learned this. I mean, thankfully, man, when I was in college, I took uh, child development, so I'm able to see how uh, a child is going develop through their, from birth until six, from six to 14, from 14 to 18, 18 to 24, 24 to 38, 36, 38, around there, and then above, they're on their own. But just the development of the mind, you got to make sure you're developing your child the right way and give them the right uh, tools to become great human beings, to be kids or men who are going to get back to society. I mean, I have three boys that, they're my three men. I'm trying to raise men. I'm not trying to raise sheep or kids or little kids or babies or you know, um, I, I really stand my ground with my children of of showing them the right things that's, uh, you know, just uh, karma, just uh, respect, values, um, things what men should do. And I think that's very important.
2: Yeah, b- very well said. And, and there's no doubt that there is a challenge right now with all of the technology. It's a struggle for a lot of parents out there just because it's hard to uh, tell your kids not to use the technology when all they do is see you on the phone 24-7. So, I mean, there's definitely um, uh, an issue with that. Uh, and, and, you know, what is the relationship like between your all of your sons, your twins and, and your uh, oldest son? What is their relationship like?
5: Uh, relationship's really good, actually. Uh, they thank God for FaceTime. They FaceTime each other uh, at least once a week. Um, you know, he comes out and visits uh, at least once to twice a month. He's actually coming out uh, this Sunday. He'll be off for two weeks for uh, summertime.
3: So you
5: know, I, I wish it would be a lot more, but they they love each other and it's great. You know, especially the the younger ones. They they love the older one, Mike knows. They look up to him so much, and uh, it's just really cool because my ex-wife, she does an amazing job with my son, Jacob. Uh, you know, he's, he's a really smart kid. And uh, hopefully he gets a full ride scholarship for education, and not just sports. Um, but you know, the relationship is, is is really solid with my my boys. That's for sure. I mean, I, we're we're all we're all Jays. Um, I'm Jacob, my oldest is Jacob, uh, and then my twin boys is Jesse and Journey. So we're all Jays.
2: Yeah, very cool. And I, because I know that I, I speak with a lot of single dads, and, I, and one of the toughest decisions for them is like when to introduce. Uh, their children to a new potential spouse or a new new girlfriend or something like that. So at at what point in your relationship with Amber, did you feel comfortable uh, introducing the twins and Jacob uh, uh, to Amber?
3: Um, It took about a good two months of dating with her. Um, And
5: there was a situation that happened. She's a model um, and she had a big magazine call. I was in the car with her and I heard her talking and, and, they asked, they asked her to come in for a shoot and they're gonna offer like five grand for the shoot and She's like, Well, what's the days? And they're all, well it'll be uh Tuesday, Thursday from eight AM until uh four PM She's all Well I can't do those times Like, Well, you can't we need you for those times the only time you can do it. You know, so well I, I I I really uh I, I got I gotta be there for my uh my, my boyfriend's uh, kids to make sure they get make it to school and back. And this is what my kids are in kindergarten kindergarten. This is like right after I introduced them to them, but this was something that I knew that she was a keeper. She was willing to sacrifice money and her time or her fame to make sure my children got to school. I was like, this is a keeper. Now, not just the idea, just the, that I knew that she was a keeper. Now, when I knew it was time to introduce them to my kids was, we're out on dinner, and we got done with dinner, and I get, I hear a call from her mom. Uh, we get almost to her house, and then her dad called, and her mom and dad are separated. They're uh, divorced, and I go to drop her off, and like, she said, yeah, my, my dad just want to make sure I got home safe, and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. This girl is, is really respectful, and I, I've known her for a long time. I've known her for like 13 years prior, and I was like, wow, this 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 must might be the one. Um, She wasn't a partier. She wasn't, you know, crazy at all. Um, She really was just really down to earth and wholesome, and wholesome as I mean by her parents. How her parents treated her is I knew that she was the right one just because usually how the parents are is how you become. Usually, not all the time, just Usually and i was like you know maybe it maybe it is time and when i did they were attracted to her automatically like they they needed that mother figure big time in their life and from that point out on it's been six years uh august 20th it'll be six years that we've been together and she's been a part of their life um she wakes up every morning with them uh breakfast lunch dinner i mean when i come home from training I mean, she is the best mother for them that they possibly could ask for, that I could ask for, and I'm very thankful. And like I say, I I think I just uh, really wanted to find a woman who was down to earth and understood the same things that I knew in life of uh, respect and values and things like that because I I always try to chase girls that uh, I want to save or I want to save to save my mom. I mean, that's my like that's what my therapist kind of told me, and I I really didn't understand it. But I always had, I had the broken uh, wing syndrome where I always try to fix fix the bird. Always try to fix the bird, but <laughs> that one I couldn't do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely makes sense, Dito. And and I know you have the uh, the fight coming up here against Del Rio. Well, what what could we expect to see in the fight? And will your kids attend the fight?
5: So I got a lot of time to prepare for the fight, but I think it's time to let my kids. Uh, all three of them enjoy what it feels like to walk out in an arena when you have 15,000 people screaming and uh, being on live television and watching your father compete. Because before this, my two youngest ones, they would not only watch the fight with me at home, sitting on the couch with me. And my oldest, he uh, started watching them when he was about 11, I want to say, 11, 12 on TV live. And the times that I lost, you know, he would call me and he would be crying on the phone, be like, Dad, I don't want you to fight anymore. I don't like to see you get to, uh, get beat up and lose. I was like, son, this is part of life. You got to get beat up. You you got to lose. If if I never lost, I never never know what it felt like to win. And my my kid does understand that now. Like I say, he's competing in the national tournament in Fargo. Um, And then he did the freestyle uh uh, division and he ended up going uh, one and two, but he still kept his head on his shoulders. He said, That's all right, I'm going Greco in, in a couple days and I'll do better. And he's competing right now. So, like I say, in life, we got to lose something to really know what it feels like to win. And um, against Alberto Del Rio, I, I really think this is an opportunity to, for my kids to be a part of something that's going to be fun, that's going to be exciting. Um, Alberto Del Rio, I don't know what he was thinking about calling me out to fight me. But I guess uh, when other people call you out, I guess you're still uh, relevant to the game of mixed martial arts. You know, to America, which is an organi- organization we were fighting for or fighting under, uh, gave me an offer that I couldn't refuse. And the offer was Alberto Del Rio. They said that he wanted to fight me. And I was like, <laughs> are you sure? Is he sure? And uh, I don't see this fight getting out of the uh, first round. I- I'm... I'm- He's never found anybody like me, and I'm, like I say, right now my mindset is just perfect, clear sighted sniper. I'm like, I don't know, it just, it's kind of weird through my career. There's been so many ups and downs that when I was with my ex uh, uh, girlfriend Jenna, I was always dragged down so many times that I could never go into a fight 100% mentally ready to compete. I told myself that, but I really wasn't. I said that to my fans, but I really wasn't, because I always got drugged through the dirt every single week after camp and during camp with my ex, because she had her own problems and she always tried to reflect them on me, saying I'm the bad parent, I'm a bad father, I'm just like my dad, and always just breaking me down. And to go on a fight, you got to be a hundred percent motivated, you got to be a hundred percent there for the fight, strictly for the fight, and that's when you do well. And over these last uh, six years, I, I've been doing this. You know, I'm, I'm four and one on my last uh, five fights. I, I've really, uh, I've gone through surgeries. Um, ACL replaced my left knee. ACL replaced my right knee. L4-5, five one fused in my lower back. Uh, T3, T2, T2, T1, T1, C7. Um, my thoracic disc replacement, uh, C6, C7 fused. C6, C5 disc replacement, C5, C4 fused in my neck, and a reattached retina in my left eye. Now, this shows how much I love this sport because if there's any other athletes that have gone through what I've gone through and still compete, they would still be competing, but they don't because they're not mentally strong enough to continue by doing it. I do it because I love the sport. I love to compete, and I have a great surgeon, and I'm very, very lucky and now that I have a great companion with me, with Amber, who supports me and who, who has my back, and I don't have to think twice about who's in my home or if my kids are being fed or, you know, um, it, it just simple things of laundry being done or just small things. I mean, we don't have nannies. I haven't had a nanny in six years. I don't know. We don't have nannies. We do everything ourselves. We are 100% parents, and that's our job. When you become a parent, it becomes a job because – that child's future is in your hands, and that's what we really live by no matter what. I, I want to make sure our, our children have a great future. I want to make sure our children go through hard times. They know what it feels like to the pain of uh, of training or just have to do their homework no matter what. Reading an hour every day, five days a week, and they always do. I mean, like I say, they read at a ninth grade level, and they're only in the fourth grade going, going into the fifth. But it's just uh, doing these things so I can be a great father. Um, and the reason I share so much of this stuff on my social media, because I want other parents out there who are single fathers, who are single mothers, or they have uh, companions that are just coming into the family of not even their kids, somebody else's kids, and they're trying to figure out how to love them the right way. And I I really don't think that it should be like a stepmom or a mom. I think it's a mom, it's a mom. It's a dad, it's a dad. You you love the kid no matter what. Um, And you have an opportunity as just human beings, as as raising our cubs to be kings of the jungle. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's my number one.
2: Yeah, I I love to hear you talk like that. You know, your, your, your voice and your presence is definitely much needed. So it's awesome to see you active on Instagram uh, speaking your truth and getting your message out there. You're definitely a role model for dads uh, all across the country here. And and what type of uh, what, what kind of plans do you have here or goals do you have for your future beyond the fight? Are you still looking at uh, continuing to compete or when, when are you uh, going to consider hanging it up and what's going to be next? Well, you know,
5: I, I think uh, I signed two fights with come out to America. Um, I'll have this fight uh, here in October and I'll, I'll do one more fight and I think I'll be done. I think that'll about do it. Um, I've started other businesses. Uh, of course, my business I've had since 1999, Punishment Athletics, which is a clothing company. People can see it at Punishment.com. Um, I have a management company, Primetime Time 360 ESM. People can see that on uh, social media also. Um, I have PO Auto Group, which is my wholesale uh, auction business for wholesale cars. Um, I just... Uh, and being an ambassador for Cabate uh, Americas, I just, I try to be as, as hard working as I possibly can and taking the most advantage of this life I have in front of me. You know, I'm chasing this American dream each and every day. And I'm driving home from work right now, and I'm I'm going to go train. I, so get ready for the fight. I mean, I, I have more than one job. It's not like I just expect to make all my money out of just fighting, because fighting's not going to be the rare for the rest of my life. I understand that, but... I want to translate this into other things. You know, um, acting has been something I've been into for the last uh, four years more than ever, and that's another aspect that it's fun because I get the same excitement that I do when I compete. You know, being behind camera and being on point and getting in character and, and being that person that the director wants you to be, it's hard, it's difficult, but it's repetition. Doing it over and over again, but willing to fail. Willing to, to mess up and try it again and try it in a different way, and be successful by doing that. You know, I I make mistakes all the time. I'm not perfect at all, not even close. But I think making those mistakes helps me through my life uh, to be a better man. And uh, like say, I'm I'm very open on my life because I was a kid who came from nothing, and I could have been the kid that uh, a that went to prison because of a drug habit or because of some type of uh, law that I broke. But, no, I changed changed the future, broke the chain, and I'm doing what I'm doing now. And I'm doing it with respect, values, uh, you know, uh, just being a patriot of our country, of America. I mean, not just here in America, but I think all around the world because I have fans all around the world. And just, just being a good man, you know. I believe in karma. I'm not a huge... Uh, uh, religious person but you know I, I, I just I believe in how you treat people is how you're going to be treated and whatever you do upon someone is uh, what's going to come back on you and never step on somebody but you get ahead I think that's really important
2: yeah very inspiring stuff you know you may have touched upon it here but uh, the last thing I want to hit you with I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast uh, what type of advice do you have for that new father or for that about to be dad who's out there listening
5: well, that new father, uh, about-to-be father, uh, you cannot be selfish. Do not be selfish with your own time, um, but make time for you and your companion, wife, or girlfriend. Uh, make sure you have at least one day a week where there's time where you guys get away from the kid. Uh, making sure that the kid is with your grandparent or someone who, a babysitter that you trust, of course, uh, but you got to have that companion time no matter what, at least once a week. Um, well, I, I I you can't be selfish. You can't put yourself before your kids. If it's work, it's a little bit different. Um, but just make sure you take a little time out to make, make sure the, the the child understands why you're why are you leaving the house and why are you doing these things and showing the things that you're working to get to pay the bills. Education, I think education is huge. I think education should be pushed on the kids like no other. Uh, You got you you got to listen to other people's advice as long as it's positive advice. Always give your child positive reinforcement. Um, Read to them at a very young age until they're old enough to read themselves. But like I say, I can't press this hard enough: is having your child read is really, really, really important. And like I say. just
2: just be willing to
5: sacrifice everything for your child. Be willing to sacrifice your life for your child. Be willing to step in front of a bullet for your child. Because uh, these, these kids aren't asked to be put on this earth. You want to bring them into this earth. So once you bring them here, it's all about them. You can't be selfish. What do they need? What they need is a stable father, a stable, a stable mother, and a stable relationship. You're not fighting with each other every single day because, the child gets affected that mentally by seeing that stuff every day. And, yeah, maybe in the other room, but they hear the voices being yelled back and forth and the cussing and this and that. Uh, another thing, too, is is don't cuss in front of your child. Um, I still don't. Every once in a while I'll slip up when I'm on conversation on the telephone, but I still don't cuss in front of my child. I try to tell my child is, what type of character do you want to be? I mean, they get an opportunity to play video games on the weekends and they only, they have to earn them, they have to earn everything. But when they do and they have their character, go, how do you want to build your character? They're like, well, I want I want a strong guy and fast and, and I know it's it, able to move quick and, I mean, it's like, how do you want to, how do you want to build yourself? Well, I, I want to be respectful and, um, I want to have manners, you know, I say thank you and I say please and I say you're welcome and. I said, after you, and yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. and I mean, I have never came from a military background at all, but through the times that I've spent with the military since 2005, I've been to Iraq six times, and I have an opportunity to meet some great men and women, but a value of respect is the hugest value I think you could ever have, and that's what I teach my children. Um, So I think all the new parents or new fathers out there is just, be willing to sacrifice everything for your kid. Make sure your kid comes first. And don't spoil them, making sure that they're able to fall down a few times themselves before you pick them up. You know, and, and, and as kids, they will test, they will test the parent. I mean, at the ages from when they can walk until about five, you know, they'll fall down. They'll go, so, like, fake cry. And all of a sudden, the mother or the father goes, hurries and grabs and picks them up. Well, that becomes coddling. And the coddling would just become one thing after another, after another. Then all of a sudden there's 16, 18, 21 that's still living at home with you. Give them an opportunity to follow and be themselves, to go out there and, and, and learn how vicious this world that we live in truly is. Because my children at 10, I, I explain it to them and I tell them. My, my oldest son, Jacob, I explain it to him and I tell him all the time. And he sees it by just uh, by people's um, actions. And I think it's really, really important to not only educate yourself, but educate your child to be a respectful um, human being that's going to give back to society, and I think that's really, really important.
2: Yeah, very well said. It's it's a great message. I love the advice. i got to say, Tito Ortiz, you're a first-class father, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood.
5: Awesome, man. Thank you so much. And all those parents out there, it always gets harder before it gets easier, but let me tell you. You'll have two things for the rest of your life. And as I tell my kids, you have your name and you'll have your word. Never break your word and always never tarnish your name. And I teach my kids this all the time. I always, Whenever I say I'm going to keep my word with you, I keep my word with them. So that way, so I make sure that they don't lie, they don't cheat, and they don't steal. I mean, those are the important things because, once again, they're trying to build their character. And the only person they look to is their parents because they're the ones that are around 24-7.
2: Yeah, very well said, Tito. Very well said.
5: Awesome, man. Thank you
2: so much.
0: Hey, dads, are you looking to boost your energy level? Strikeforce Energy has got you covered. With a Strikeforce Energy packet, you can turn any beverage into an energy drink. Their original energy packets contain no sugar, no calories, just an explosion of energy and flavor added to any beverage. Strikeforce Energy is veteran-owned, and all their products are made right here in the United States co-founded by navy seal sean matson strike force energy blows away the energy drink competition right now first class fatherhood listeners can save 15 percent off their purchase by visiting strikeforceenergy.com and using the promo code fatherhood strike force energy turns any beverage into an energy drink get yours today strikeforceenergy.com promo code fatherhood All right. Joining me now is a first-class father. He is the president of the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and it is just an honor for me to say, Dana White, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thanks for having me. All
2: right, let's start right here. How many kids do you have, and how old are they?
0: I have three kids.
6: Uh, my oldest is, is 18, uh, my son, and then my other son is 17. They're exactly a year apart, and then my daughter is 13,
2: Wow. Okay. Awesome. What type of uh, sports or activities are they all into?
6: Well, my my oldest plays football, and uh, my younger son play, played football. And he fights. He boxes. And then my my daughter uh, is into gymnastics, uh, cheerleading, and she's a really good volleyball player.
2: Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Do you ever get involved with coaching at all? Or do you like to enjoy all that stuff? No. The
6: no. No. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't do the coaching thing, man. I I have people that are. Really good coaches coach them, you know the the father kid coaching thing. Sometimes it works out, but most of the time it doesn't. I've I've seen a lot of bad experiences with parents coaching. Yeah, I hear that. All right,
2: if you could, Dana, please just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Uh,
6: my name is Dana White. I'm the president of the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Um, me and my partners, the Fertitta brothers, bought the company twenty years ago, and uh, you know, have been involved. I've been involved ever since. We we sold the company to WME IMG in 2016, I think. And uh, I, I stayed on as an owner and, uh, you know, president uh, for the last however many years has been, three, three and a half years.
2: Yeah, it's been an incredible uh, journey that you've had here with the UFC. About how old were you when you first became a dad, Dana, and how how did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life?
6: I think I was 31. I was 31 when when we had uh, Dana, my my first son. And, you know, when you have a kid, it changes everything. It changes the way you you look at life, it changes the way you look at um you know, what what you want. Not not it's not about you anymore. it it, it becomes about them and uh i don't know it's 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 the greatest thing that you can do it's really you you realize why, why we're here we're here to to become parents and and to raise children
2: yeah very well said and you've obviously had massive success here with making the ufc what it is today but i know that comes with a lot of hard work so what were some of the challenges of being a dad while building the ufc
6: the biggest challenge in, in being a father and doing, you know, n- not just building a, a business, but whether you work or whatever it is, is is, is missing is missing things, is missing, uh, with whether it's the, their play at school or their big game that weekend, whatever it might be, or you know. Them walking or whatever, you know, those, those are the things that 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 are the hardest are missing things. I've been very fortunate, in that you know we have like the largest production company in, in in Nevada, so I didn't miss anything. If if I had to be on the road, thank God for technology because I I would stream their games live, or stream a play, or you know whatever it might be. I got to see everything. Um. So I I think that's the toughest part in being a parent. You don't have to be building an organization like the UFC. You can be a guy that has to go to work, you know, every day and pay the bills and miss these certain amazing things in in your kids' lives that um, you would rather see. Yeah, yeah, right on with that. And
2: uh, what about discipline, Dana? What type of disciplinarian are you as a father, and is it different than the discipline style you grew up with? (laughs)
6: <laughs> yeah yeah it's the exact opposite of what i grew up with uh you know i've never beat the shit out of my kids you know uh i've had the shit kicked out of me a few times when i was a kid and uh you know i don't think it it, it made me you know i I, I, sh- I shouldn't say that i think there's some you know the the fear of the ass kicking uh might have made me you know stop doing something that that i was doing or not do something because of it but it it wasn't as a father what i believed in i i feel like uh you know you you lost a little respect with with some of the uh the beatings that i took but uh you know i've never done that to my kids you know and there's a certain age where you know your kids don't fear you like they did when they were younger so it makes it a little tougher to to discipline them and especially my son aiden who who was who fought and and, and trained and and things like that, you know. Uh, he he's too tough for that shit. He he's too tough for me to try to play that, you know, that role with him. So I just try to reason with them, and and it works with some kids and others it doesn't. Like my my oldest son Dana can be reasoned with. My younger son Aiden is a little tougher to to uh, to deal with, you know, because much like me. At a very young age, he started becoming his own guy. There's just a certain age where your kids start figuring out who they are and who they want to be and what they want to do. Or you have your kids that are confused and don't know who they are or what they want to do. So I think there's different ways to to discipline different kids. You can have the same kids grow up in the same house, you know, same parents, same everything, yet they're complete opposites in how you deal with them and uh, how they deal with you.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well said. That's exactly the situation. I got four kids myself, and all four of them couldn't be more different when it comes to trying to handle them with discipline styles and everything else. So it's incredible how that works out.
6: So true, man. And listen, nobody has all the answers. It's all trial and error, and you try to do the best you can, um, you know, for each kid, and try to, you know, guide them in the best ways that you can. And it just it's it's, it's all trial and error. Nobody has the answers. <laughs> yeah.
2: And and your kids are obviously uh, my oldest is only 13, so I'm just on the onset of the teenage years here, but you've already hit the mark where they started driving. What was it like for you the first time when your kids learned how to drive and you got in the car with your kids?
6: <clears throat> yeah, so I I, it's, I I've, again, I've been fortunate because I I had a family up in Maine, up in this part of Maine called Levant Maine and it's out in the sticks. And uh you know, we started driving when I was like 8 or 9 my uncle would say, get in the car, and we would drive, you know, through town and everything else. There's not a lot of police out there, so nobody nobody cared back then. So I, I took my kids up there, and my kids started driving at a really young age. Like, like my daughter, we, we, we have all this property, and, you know, my kids would drive from one house to the other, and so they they got accustomed to driving real young, which I think is important. Tough to do in a city like Vegas or New York, Chicago, Boston, stuff like that. But you know, they, I, I had him doing it young. So my son Dana, when he started driving, uh, I, I wasn't too worried about it. He was a good driver. I felt confident and comfortable with the experience and the and the practice that he had had up in Maine and some stuff we did in Vegas too in our community. You know, driving around. And then my younger son, Aiden, who's 17 now, still doesn't have a license. You know, like I said, two different kids. He he had a 16th birthday party. He got a beautiful car for his birthday. He could care less about driving. He Ubers everywhere. He Ubers or his friends pick him up. He could care less about driving. So um, those are the two experiences. And, again, like most fathers, I'm more nervous about my daughter. She's 13 You know, we got a couple years to go with her, but when she starts driving, that's the one that's going to make me nervous.
2: Yeah, right on with that. My daughter's my youngest too out of the four. She's only five, so I got a ways to go there. But I I drive Uber on the weekends, Dane, and I see it all the time. I see kids that are older that don't even have, didn't even bother to get their license, and it's kind of mind blowing to me because that was always like the big thing you thought of when you were a kid. When I was growing up. It was the
6: only thing you thought of. You didn't care about anything else. (laughs) Listen, there's two things that I knew when I turned 16. A, I wasn't getting a car. But B, I was getting that license, you know. Your license was everything when we were growing up. It was your sense of freedom. Like, you had a driver's license. You could do whatever. You know, even if you didn't have a car, you got your license. These kids today don't give a shit. It's the craziest thing ever.
2: One of the other things that I notice, obviously, all the time when I drive them around, is that they they don't communicate with one another. The heads are in the phone. I know I see your one son has an Instagram account. How do you kind of monitor and handle all the social media and the technology with your kids?
6: Um, yeah, that, that's that's a great question. You know, it, it was it was one of the things that my wife and I, you know, so, sort of didn't agree on when, when they, they started to get older. You know, they started wanting to be on social media and there's so many nasty people on social media and things like that but i said listen the kids got to get used to it you know people are going to talk shit to them and say bad things about me and 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 you know whatever it might be but it's the future it's it's where they're going to live and where they're going to communicate with their friends they got to get used to it and uh i think it's gone pretty well my kids are pretty level headed and you know they'll, they'll come to me and say hey this guy just said this about you and i'm like yeah well get used to it guys People are going to say a lot of things, and um, they've handled it pretty well. Yeah,
2: I, I think Twitter is the worst. I've I'm, I'm only been on there since I started this podcast up, and I, since I've been on there, it seems like Twitter is really where all the nastiness really uh, is the worst of all of them.
6: Oh, there's some, there's some pretty nasty ones on Instagram, too, you know. You're always going to have these, I call them nameless, faceless cowards. Uh, most, most of them are people who... Uh, have private accounts. If you, you notice, most of the stuff that's nasty comes from people with private accounts, and uh, uh, you know you, you have to consider the source when when you're when you're reading the stuff from people like that. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. And
2: uh, what about as far as the fighters in the UFC, Dana? As far as fathers go, do you notice any difference in the guys that are family men that are fighting as opposed to that single guy or that lone wolf fighter?
6: Oh, absolutely, yeah, and and you notice a difference in guys that, that were single and had no kids and then when they end up having kids it, it changes you man. It's just it just it does. There's no, nothing you can do about it. It it changes you in, in many different ways. And mostly for the positive. You know, if you're if you're if you're a good father, it changes you for the positive. Um you know I've always had this philosophy about people will always ask me about my legacy and you know your legacy and 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 what I do for a living what I do for a living at the end of the day means nothing it's when you when your life is over and you're laying there in that box and whoever shows up to your to your funeral shows up the only thing that matters and your only real legacy are your children and you know hopefully you you've lived a life and done things right, and they get up and say, he was a great father. I mean, at the end of the day, nothing else matters. Who you were as a, as, a, as an employee or who you were as a business owner or as whatever walk of life you chose to pay the bills, the only real legacy you have and the only thing that means anything is what those kids have to say about you.
2: Yeah, yeah, very well said. Have you ever done like a Father's Day card where you have just dads on the, uh, you know on the card?
6: <laughs> no, we've never done that. Um uh but you'd be so because there's you know there's a lot of fighters in the UFC that are really good dads and, you know, uh you know, have families and live completely normal lives com- compared to what you would think of guys who fight in a cage.
2: I've spoken to a few of them here on the podcast. And what about as far as your kids? When did you first introduce your kids to the UFC, and when when was the first time they actually attended the fights?
6: I introduced them to the to, to the sport at a very young age and had them training at a very young age. You know, when you have kids and daughters are no different. Um, you know, it's your job as a father to make sure that they can handle themselves and and uh, you know can defend themselves. I think that's a very important part of life um you know because bullying and getting picked on and all that stuff is real and it doesn't just happen to kids happens to grown-ups too and adults that you know um uh, whether it's at work or a- out on weekends or whatever it might be it's it's a it's a reality in life and it's always been something that was very important to me is that my kids learned how to defend themselves so they they, they were involved in this at a very very young age but this is my love and my passion and what drives me and what me, gets me out of bed every day. But that's not that doesn't mean that's what's going to drive your kids. And, like, my oldest son loves football. Uh, my younger son is at a point in his age where it's, <laughs> it's all about girls right now and, you know, and, and hanging out with his friends. And my daughter has, you know, volleyball, and she loves gymnastics and things like that. So, you know, they haven't really – Fallen in love with the sport the way that, that, that I am in the way that I have in my life. Um, but, you know, which is great. I, I want them to find their own, their own way and their own path and, uh, w- what it is that's gonna, you know, fire them up and get them out of bed in the morning.
2: Yeah, well said. And and you mentioned there, you got one son that's already chasing the girls. How did you kind of handle that when they started to hit that dating scene? And are you prepared here for when your daughter starts to start dating? Yeah,
6: yeah. No, I, I was cool with the boys. I don't care what they do. You know, the, 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 <laughs> with your sons, it's whatever. My daughter is the one that I'm going to have a real hard time with. She already knows that she's not allowed to date till she's thirty. <laughs> Yeah,
2: like I said, my, my daughter's five, I'm already dreading that, but I got three boys ahead of her here, so hopefully, uh, you know, it'll be a while before I'd have to get involved in anything.
6: Yeah, and you got three bodyguards, so that works perfect. <laughs> um,
2: what about uh for the what's the future of the UFC here, Dana? What and what kind of goals or plans do you have for yourself for the future?
6: Um, listen, what's next for me is what's going on here. We're we're continuing to to, to grow this sport and this brand and going into other countries. We're going into France this year. This last year, we we, we're, we got a fight coming up in in Korea, in a new market in Korea, um, Moscow, you know, con- continuing to, to grow throughout Russia and the Middle East. Uh, Africa is, is taken off for us because we have an African champion, uh, and the list goes on and on. Man, this this is what I love to do. This this is truly my passion, and uh, I'm just as fired up every day now as I was 20 years ago. So. I'm going to continue to do this. My son graduates. This is his senior year. He it looks like he's going to head out and go to USD. So uh, it looks like I'm going to be spending a lot of time in San Diego, uh, over the next four years and whatever school my younger son decides to go to. Um, you know, just moving on into that next chapter of my life, um, with, with my older boys, uh, in college.
0: Yeah, very cool. And my cool. daughter we got heading
6: to high school.
2: Yeah, I got one going to high school next year too. I'm kind of bracing for impact for that myself. But uh, we we got UFC 244 this weekend here. We almost we almost didn't have it. What happened there? And uh, how did what can we expect to see here this weekend?
6: Well, it wasn't as close to not happen as people think it was. Uh, <clears throat> you know, things happen. There's there's other stuff going on with this card right now behind the scenes that the public doesn't know that we have to deal with. We always have to deal with some type of bullshit behind the scenes leading up to a fight. Um, and, you know, one of the things that makes us the best in the world, not just the best in the world, the best to ever do it, is, you know, we usually figure it out and the fights go on, whether it's with a different opponent or whatever the case may be. But, uh, you know, we're, we're used to dealing with this stuff.
2: Yeah, very cool. All right, last thing I want to hit you with here, Dana, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new father or for that about-to-be dad who's out there listening?
6: Well, I think I think – my best advice would be when you when you have a baby it's always really hard in every sense of the word hard um you're not sleeping much financially it becomes very very tough um you, you know it's 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 very expensive but it's the greatest thing that you will ever do and it only gets better you will figure out the financial side and you will figure out uh time and sleep and all that other stuff it just it gets better every single day and it is the most rewarding thing that you can do in life there is never a right time you know what i mean if you if you say i got to wait for the right time there's never a right time uh when you have a kid you just got to you just got to jump in with both feet and 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 roll with the punches man it works out and it's the most rewarding thing you can ever do in your life
2: yeah, very well said. I love the message. This has been an honor
6: for me. i got to say, Dana
2: White, you're a first-class father all the way, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood.
6: Thank you. I really appreciate it. And What a cool podcast. This is one of the coolest ones I've ever did. And congrats. Seriously, I mean it. What a cool podcast concept, and uh, I-, I love it. Good for you, man. Continued success.